Hey, good morning, Chapel family. It's so good to see all of you. I, I, before we get started, I have one little announcement. We have a red Ford Escape with the alarm going off. So if that's you, we'll all turn away and go ahead and take the walk of shame. Nobody, with every eye closed, nobody will see who you are. All right? Uh, no. Hey, let me say, man, as I pulled into the parking lot this morning, man, Norwalk campus tore it up yesterday. Like, it looks beautiful outside, fresh mulch. And when I say tore it up, I mean that quite literally. Pastor Charles dug a ditch right over our Wi-Fi line. Um, so, but he's, he's really trying. So, no, but seriously, the campus just looks good. And, and man, this, it looks beautiful. Uh, it's been several, several weeks. In fact, probably a few months since I've got to be here at our Norwalk location. My name's Todd. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, have, have had to take some time off. Uh, many of you have been praying for our son. He's been going through a difficult medical thing, and uh, we felt your prayers and your love and your care. And uh, yeah, I want you to know that as we sing these songs, um, I'm with you in these songs. Uh, I'm with you when, when you're holding on to those songs or when you're wondering, is this song really true? When, when, when sometimes our experience in life doesn't match up with what we know to be the truth. And uh, we are fellow strugglers here. And so we're, we're glad that you are here. And I uh, look forward to sharing this time in God's word to, together with you today. I was thinking back, uh, actually this summer, I'm going to, uh, we're going to head to Michigan. And uh, it's my 30-year class reunion. Like, I am getting old. So I'm reminiscing about, you know, the 90s, baby. And I was thinking about, anybody was alive still in the 90s? Or, you know, that was way back then? And do you remember this commercial, Be Like Mike? Well, I grew up in southwest Michigan, and we didn't, we didn't uh, root for the Michigan teams, which I know you're grateful for that, especially now that we're in Ohio. We actually rooted mostly for the Chicago teams, you know, the Bears and doubles. And, uh, and, and say what you want, think what you want about the great Michael Jordan, and whether you think LeBron is better than Michael, whatever. I okay, but everybody in that time was looking up to Michael Jordan. Like, he was it. He was everybody's, not everybody's, a lot of kids' idol. And, and, and uh, so, so Gatorade, they come out with this great slogan to sell their Gatorade, but the slogan is, be like Mike. And the implied thing was, well, Mike drinks Gatorade, so if you want to be like Mike, Michael Jordan, then you drink Gatorade, and thanks a lot, Gatorade, because a lot of kids drink a lot of Gatorade, and they didn't make it to the NBA, all right? Thankfully, thankfully, like our goal in life, if you're here and you're a Christ follower, maybe you're exploring what it means to be in a, have a real relationship with God. We're not trying to be like some NBA star. The calling of every Christ follower is to be like Christ. That's why we gather together as a church every week, to, to love each other, to look into the truth of God's word. It's why part of becoming more and more like Jesus is, is on a daily basis taking chair time to look at God's truth for our own lives. It's, it's why we, we pray and ask God for wisdom, ask God to lead us and guide us in our life so it will become more like Jesus. It's why we gather in community with others, whether that's on the weekend or 
in a small group or with, with some friends that are fellow Christ followers to rub off on each other. It's why we encourage each other and challenge each other to become more like Jesus. But I don't know about you, but one of the primary ways that I've learned to become more like Jesus, and I'm a work in progress, and aren't we all, is by looking at the godly example of others. I didn't grow up in a, in a committed Christian household, and at 17, when I came to faith, there were people in my life that God planted there that I started to look up to as spiritual mentors, as spiritual idols. I wanted to be like them because they were trying to be like Jesus. And what I saw in their lives was Jesus in the flesh, making a difference. And, and maybe you've had some influential idols in your life, spiritual idols, a, a grandparent. Maybe it was one of your parents. Maybe it was a, a, a youth leader. Maybe it was a coach that was a follower of Jesus. And certainly the scriptures, they're filled with all kinds of incredible examples of real-life followers of Jesus, people that were becoming more and more like Jesus that we can model our lives after, people like, like Abraham and David and Hannah and Mary. And this weekend, as we con continue our series walking through the book of Acts, we want to look at another one of those heroes of faith, maybe a lesser-known hero. His name is Stephen. And we, we are first introduced to him in in uh, Acts chapter 6, when there's so many, like Pastor Jay was mentioning before, in the, in the early church, there were so many needs that were coming about, and yet all the needs were being met because of the love and generosity of God's people. And, and in Acts chapter 6, we see that there were so many needs. There was widows, and the, there was a food distribution program happening then, and they had to appoint some leaders, some deacons, to, to help oversee that. And one of those people that was appointed was a man named Stephen. In fact, part of the reason that he was chosen as a leader in the early church is because of what we read about him in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. It says, And Stephen was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And he's described this way in a number of places. In fact, over our time together, we're going to look at four different words that we could use to describe Stephen that I think I would love to have described my life. Uh, things that we can aspire to, to become more like Jesus, because Stephen was becoming like Jesus. It says he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 says, Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power. Wouldn't it be awesome to be described as full of grace, Right? And then in, in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, and we'll kind of lock in in chapter 7 in a few minutes, it describes Stephen again as a man full of the Holy Spirit. So the first F word we're going to use to describe Stephen is the word full. He was full. The, the original word here that's used means full of soul, thoroughly permeated with. I wonder, like, what is it that you are thoroughly permeated with. What's deep in the recesses of our souls that's filling our life? Or another way might, to put it would be to, to be leading our lives. Because really what it means to be full of God's Spirit is to be led or controlled by the Spirit. It's, whenever a person puts their faith in Jesus for the very first time, 
the Bible says that God's Spirit comes to indwell us. So it's not like when you're full of the Spirit, you've got more of the Spirit. It means that the Spirit has more of you. That, that we're choosing on a daily and oftentimes moment-by-moment moment basis, instead of following self, choosing to follow the Spirit's lead in our life. That's what it means to be full of the Spirit. And that's how Stephen is describing. That's why I want to be like him. A way that we could maybe kind of get a little introspective is to ask ourselves the question, I am full of something, right? All of us are. It permeates my soul. It affects my entire being. So the question is, what am I full of? Am I full of self? Or am I full of the Spirit of God like Stephen is described? And too many times in my life, I realize I'm just full of myself. How, how can we determine that? Well, when we're full of ourself, what shows up in our life are things like bitterness and discontentment. We're, we easily give in to temptation. Why? Well, because we're just all about self and whatever self wants, well, that's what we just give ourselves. And we're not desiring the things of God and it can lead to people pleasing. And man, that's a, that's a challenge in my life. And when, when that's happening, it's really because I'm full of self and I'm worried about what everybody's thinking about me. It's a very me-centered kind of life. But Stephen is described as not being full of self, but of being full of the Spirit. So what does that look like? It looks like being full of faith and grace and power, like Stephen is described in Acts chapter 6. It means having a deep sense of contentment. It means humility. It means unconditional love and striving to fight temptation. Why? Because we're being full of, we're being led, controlled by God's Spirit. Stephen was full. Full of God's Spirit. But there's a second word that I think we can use to describe Stephen, and that's fruit or fruitfulness. When we, when we talk about being full of the Spirit, it's not just an internal thing. Like there's, you know, we can check the register and uh, know that we're full. And, and I could tell you, oh, I'm very full of the Spirit. But truth be told, you'd know whether I was full of the Spirit, not by what I say, but by how I live. The same thing is true in your life and my life. And in all of us, we've met people that they talk a good game. But, but what is their life really bearing out? And, and Jesus talked about fruitfulness. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, these are Jesus' own words. Look at what he says. He says, a good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree, he says, can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree, he says, can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Look at verse 20. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. We will know if someone else is being led by the Spirit or by themselves, by the fruit of their lives. And we can determine and get introspective in our own lives and say, well, I can think I'm full of God's Spirit. Maybe I'm going to church and I'm doing some good things, and I'm trying to help others out. But on a day-to-day -day basis, the actions of my life are the fruit. 
And God's word says that the fruit of the Spirit are things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and so on and so forth. And Stephen's life was bearing fruit in the early church. He had been called to lead and to help and to serve. And not only that, miraculous things were happening in and through uh, Stephen's life. In fact, in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Stephen, again, remember, a man full of God's Spirit, led by God's Spirit, who was full of grace and power. Like when people needed a touch of God's kindness and grace, God was using Stephen. Wouldn't it be awesome to be known as full of grace, to be a a grace touch point in someone's life? And, and, And all these other miraculous things were happening. Stephen would pray for people, and sometimes healings would occur, miracles. God was bearing fruit in and through Stephen's life. He was full. He was full of God's fruitfulness. But then look at what it says. Even while Stephen is doing all these good things and being led, controlled, filled by the Spirit, and and being fruitful in his life, it says, then some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen. This was kind of an anti-Christian movement of the day. And of those of the Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, and look at, they rose up and they disputed with Stephen. They were out to get Stephen. They were out to take him down or to take him out. And how does Stephen respond? Well, here again, our responses will show whether we're controlled or filled with self or whether we're controlled and filled by the Spirit. And as they begin to dispute and challenge Stephen and almost attack Stephen, Stephen doesn't attack back. He doesn't seek vengeance. Instead, he just speaks truth, and he does so with grace and respect and with deep, spirit-led, filled wisdom. Look at what it says. And none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. How, man, how would it change things if the people in our lives that know us best and the people that we work with and, the, and when, when we come up against opposition at school or on the field or on the court or in the workplace or on the line or in the cubicle, if people could not stand against the wisdom and the spirit by which we live. Stephen was this way. He was full. Full of the Spirit, full of fruit. But there's a third word. uh, Stephen was full of faithfulness. And we see this in Acts chapter 6 on into Acts chapter 7. And when I say faithfulness, uh, I think we see it kind of in two ways in Stephen's life. First, his faithfulness to God. That no matter what Stephen was going through and will go through, as we'll see in the text, he remains faithful. But not just faithfulness to God, Stephen continues to point out to others the faithfulness of God. And these two are so interlinked. Like if we want to continue to be faithful, we're going to have to remember how faithful 
God has been to us. I think of that line from that song that we just sang. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. And you know, we need to remember that when life doesn't feel so good. When life gets hard. When life gets overwhelming. When we feel opposition just like Stephen was beginning to face. And and Stephen, it's like he's both reminding himself in this moment and he's reminding those that are surrounding him, even his enemies that are trying to take him down. And he points to the faithfulness of God throughout the generations. And heroes of faith, like Abraham, he says, but God gave Abraham no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land. God did promise, however, that, he event- that eventually the whole land would belong to Abraham and his descendants, even though he had no children yet. And the Bible says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham trusted God even when the situation looked completely bleak. And, and right now, as, as Stephen is proclaiming to the people in the early church, and the people that are antagonizing him and trying to argue with him, what does he do? He points to God's faithfulness. Not just in Abraham's life. He goes on in in verses 9 through 10. It says, and these patriarchs, they were jealous of their brother Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? Man, talk about a a guy who's trying to do things right and, and my total family dysfunction and jealousy and bitterness. Why? Because his brothers were being led by self, not by the Spirit. And so his brothers decide, because he's kind of the favored child, which was probably a mistake of his dad as well, they, they decide to get rid of their brother. First they're going to kill him, then they're going to throw him in a pit. Then they decide, oh, let's, hey, better yet, let's sell him. We'll, we'll at least get some money for him. And they sell him off into slavery. And, 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 and Stephen, in this moment, he's looking back to God's faithfulness in different people's lives. And he says, listen, when it comes to Joseph, they sold him into slavery in Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all of his troubles. And the story of Joseph is such a powerful story. You can be in the deepest pit. You can be completely abandoned by your family. But if you've got Jesus, he'll get you through. See, this is what Stephen was up against a lot. But he was reminding himself of the faithfulness of God. And he was boldly proclaiming that faithfulness to other people. Isn't it interesting when we come up against opposition, when we go through a difficult time, when we go through hardship, how easy it is to lose faith? To, turn our, to, to just want to give up on faith? To turn our back on faith. I didn't say uh, doubt our faith because that's natural. I'm, I'm standing over there this morning and I'm telling you, our family, we've been going through a terrible time. We're in a long, dark valley with our son in a medical condition. And I sing those songs and I'm with you. I'm going, man, that does not feel true right now. That's when we have to remember 
all my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. We've got to hold on to faith in the midst of the trials and the battles and the hardships. And that's what Stephen was doing. He was proclaiming. I think he was doing it for those that were listening just as much as he was doing it for himself so that he could keep the faith. Stephen was full. He was full of God's spirit. He was full of fruitfulness in his life. It was making an impact. It was changing. And even being led by the spirit and even living this fruitful life, he's now going through great opposition. And he's seeking to continue to be faithful. And then he calls his oppressors out. And this is probably the strongest words that Stephen gives. He says, you stubborn people, you heathen at heart, and you're deaf to the truth. He says, must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet, he says, that your ancestors didn't persecute. It's like Stephen's remembering, like, I'm one of them. I'm being persecuted just like all the rest of them. And then look back at the text with me again. We'll put it on the screen for you, I think. There it is. Uh, name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones you, who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. I mean, Stephen, is, he's already being attacked and now he just said something that is not going to make his situation better. Why, though? Because he was a person of faith. He was going to stand for the faith. He was going to hold on to faith, come what may. And that is exactly what happened. Come what may. It leads us to the fourth word that is so astounding that we can use to describe Stephen. It's the word forgiveness. Forgiveness. Isn't forgiveness tough? I mean, like, I love forgiveness, like receiving it. I don't always like extending it, giving it out, right? And yet it's the thing... It's the thing in life that every single one of us desperately need. First, from God, and then certainly from one another. And I think Stephen, because he's full of God's Spirit, because he's living a fruitful life, and because he's seeking to live faithfully to Jesus, Stephen is able to do something at the very end of his life that is so astounding. And it's to offer forgiveness. Look at what the text says. Acts 7, 57 and 58 says, They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city. And they began to stone him. That is, pick up rocks and throw them at him. It says, His accusers, they took off their coats and they laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul, who, by the way, is the one that eventually gets radically transformed by the power of Jesus and moves from being somebody that persecuted Christians to actually 
heralding the gospel, sharing Jesus with other people. And it says this, this band of people there that were about to attack Stephen, they took off their coats. Why? Because they knew they were going to work up a sweat. And they began to hurl rocks at Stephen to kill him, to take his life, even though he was being led by the Spirit, filled by the Spirit, fruitfully living his life to serve others. You guys, this is a reminder to every single one of us that you can try to do it all right and follow Jesus and be faithful to him. But opposition will still come. Hardship will come. Death may even come. And it says, in the midst of this, as they stoned Stephen, as they stoned him, as they were throwing rocks at him, taking his life, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees, shouting. This is what he wanted people to hear, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, the book of Acts says, he died. <laughs> forgiveness. Wow. I mean, this isn't forgiveness like after the fact, after you've worked it through and, you know, kind of worked through the process and seen a little bit of change in the other person. This is forgiveness in the moment, on the spot. When someone was taking his life. You know who that sounds a lot like to me? It sounds like our hero. It sounds like the one that we want to be like. It sounds like Jesus. Because as Jesus spread out his arms on the cross and was nailed there, Jesus prayed this prayer, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I'm going to invite our worship team to come out. And I'd like us to take a few moments to remember. To remember Jesus. To remember Stephen. But all that Stephen was doing was just being like his hero, Jesus. That's why when Stephen's being stoned to death, he echoes the very words of Jesus. Father, forgive them. Don't hold this sin against them. And when you came in today, you should have received some communion elements. And if you didn't, uh, just raise a hand and one of our team members will be happy to come by and, and uh, give you one. And if you, if you pull back the first clear layer, you, you come to a, a little wafer. And this wafer is just a a symbol, a, a tangible thing that's meant to help us remember. And Jesus, he did the same thing. When the night before he was to be betrayed and handed over and then mocked and ridiculed and beaten and unfairly accused and ultimately crucified, Jesus gathered with his disciples. And interestingly, he was with 12 of them and one of them, that was about to betray him. And yet the betrayer sat there and Jesus still broke bread with them. That's forgiveness. <laughs> and, and it says that Jesus took bread, a, a physical thing, 
and he gave it new meaning. He said, this bread reminds you of my body, which will be given for you. And then Jesus told his disciples, who told other disciples, who told other disciples. And now today, we as his disciples, his followers, we do the same. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember him together. And if you peel back the thicker foil layer, you come to the juice. And the thing that marked Stephen's life at the very end was the thing that marked Jesus' life at the very end, which really was only the beginning for Jesus. And Jesus, after he shared the bread and passed the cup amongst the disciples, it says he passed this cup and he gave the, the, the wine new meaning. He said this will remind you of my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. God, today we're in awe of hearers of the faith like Stephen full of your spirit, full of grace and wisdom, full of fruitfulness that impacted other people's lives, serving, giving, praying. We're in awe of Stephen, full of faith, not giving up, reminding himself and reminding others of your faithfulness, And we're especially in awe of his forgiveness. But the reason that he was all those things is because that's who you are, Jesus. You are full, full of love and passion for us. You are full of wisdom and truth and grace. You are full of fruit. And we are the recipients of that fruit. And you are full of forgiveness. That is, you extended your arms and took your last breath. You weren't just praying for those that were nailing your hands to the cross. You were praying for me. You were praying for us. Saying, Father, forgive them. And through your blood, your death, and your resurrection, we can be forgiven and we can be free to live a life led by your own spirit and power. Would you help us to be full today? In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and let's echo this chorus again together. Oh, sing hallelujah.